Please join me as we look at Acts 9, 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. This is a wonderful passage that we get to study this morning. Augustine was a monk who had a mistress who was struggling in his soul, and he was sitting under a tree one day, and he said, Oh, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. And one day God got a hold of him, and Augustine becomes Saint Augustine, one of the great fathers of the faith. My own father was orphaned at age 10, hated religion, hated God, entered into the military service in the Air Force, ended up one day in Jerusalem, wandered into the garden tomb in Jerusalem, and wandered into the cave, the tomb, And cried out to God, God, if you're for real, change this messed up life of mine. 
And God met him in that cave in Jerusalem. Changed his life forever. And he can't stop preaching about the love of Jesus. I heard recently from a missionary agency that the Taliban are coming to know the love of Jesus in Afghanistan. They are surrendering their hearts. They're hearing the gospel. They're actually finding it on the Internet. And they're seeking it out. These warriors, these enemies, these murderers are falling in love with Jesus. Like Paul on the road to Damascus, these are radical conversion stories. Powerful. And then there's simple stories like mine. After hearing a Bible story on a Sunday school lesson one Sunday morning, a beautiful teacher who taught me about the love of Jesus, I came home at five years old and at the kitchen table with my mom, I asked Jesus in childlike faith to come into my heart. And then I kept growing and growing and falling more in love with Jesus. But a very simple conversion of my heart. By the way, Sunday school teachers, don't ever think for one moment that you don't have impact. We all have a road to Damascus story. And one of the things I want you to be thinking about this morning, because I want you to share it later with people in your life, what is your road to Damascus story? Even though Paul's conversion, transformation is powerful, our conversion, our surrender to the Lord is just as powerful. Anybody who's had a heart transplant, which is what God does with us, that's a big deal. We all must end up with a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Him, surrendered unto Him with repentance and with faith, a life following and serving Jesus. I love this story in Acts chapter 9 of Saul's conversion. It should remind us very clearly never ever to write anybody off as being beyond the love of Jesus Christ. Never. Like Francis Thompson wrote in his poem, The Hound of Heaven, God kept coming after me. You see, God can reach anyone and He will reach them with amazing grace. You see, our God is always active. Our God is always working on the hearts of men and women. He is always present in our lives. And we get to join with him like was read this morning like Ananias. Paul's conversion was for us personally to give us hope for what God can do in our lives. To give us hope for those that were longing that they would know Jesus. It's for us personally, this story in Acts chapter 9. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 13. What Paul says of himself as he writes to his disciple, Timothy. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Verse 14, I love this. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy 
and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, that Jesus Christ, can't miss this, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those, you and me, who were to believe in Him for eternal life. God got a hold of Paul on the road to Damascus so that we would see God's overflowing grace, His divine mercy, and His perfect patience. Let's pray for that this morning. Father, we invite You into this place. Overwhelm us with Your overflowing grace and mercy, with Your love. Fill us with Your Holy Spirit. Teach us what You have for us. Reveal in us any way that is opposite of You, Father. Draw close to us, Father. May we draw close to You this morning. In Your precious name, Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is Amazing Grace, The Road to Redemption. We're going to see this journey that Paul had on the road to Damascus. And one of the first things that we see as we enter into chapter 9 is rage. Paul's attitude of hate towards the church. He's coming after the way. It was a name actually given by the critics. Oh, the way. Those followers of Jesus. And I think they got it because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's the middle of the afternoon. He's on the way to the beautiful city, the great white city of Damascus, on a green plain in Syria. It was the time of day when people normally would be taking their siesta. It was hot. But Paul is bent on destruction. No time for a nap. The followers of the way are going to be cut down. I heard from a mission agency this week about all that was going on in China recently, and they're really cracking down on followers of Jesus Christ. Like we haven't seen in decades. There's always been the underground church, and there's always been pressure, but they're really coming down and they're arresting those who are leading church in the underground. For Christmas time this year, there was not allowed any decorations of Christmas anywhere. If you did that, you would be thrown into jail. There will be not even a hint of Christmas related to Christ. Nothing. The persecution is strong right now in China. And we need to be praying for our fellow saints who are trying to be obedient to Jesus. Like Paul coming after, I'm going to shut you off. In Acts 26, Paul is speaking to Agrippa. And it says in Acts 26 that he came after the way with raging fury. He's going from Jerusalem to Damascus. That's a 150-mile journey. Saul would not rest to hunt and to kill Christians. The Scriptures see list three times he was a bitter opponent. He's dragging out men and women off to prison. Many of them are being killed. 
dragging off men and women. What about the children? Paul's a dark man, filled with rage. Hates God's son that they're claiming that he is. Hates the way. He will do anything in his power to destroy it. Breathing out murderous threats. The question we have to ask is, why is Paul pursuing with such fury? You see, Paul is a passionate Pharisee. He wants to pursue and know and love God. It's been his pursuit his whole life. He's zealous for the holy God. How dare these heretics speak against the temple and against Moses? How dare they say that Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for? You see, Paul, in everything and to the core of his being, thought he was right in killing Christians. I think he thought he was righteous. That God was pleased with him. That it was good for him to destroy the enemies of God. But he took it on himself to really go after and he was filled with fury and rage. In Acts 8.3, it says, Paul is destroying the church with a ravaging attempt. He's, he's ravaging and destroying the church like a wild beast. In Psalm 83, 80.13, there's an image of wild boars ravaging the vine. The vine is Israel. Listen to what it says in Psalm 80. You brought the vine, Israel, out of Egypt, and you drove out the nations and you planted it. But the boar from the forest ravages it. Same word used of Paul against the church. And all that move in the field feed on it. O God, turn again to us, O Lord of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, have regard for the vine. Paul is depicted like a ravaging beast, every breath snorting like a wild horse, war horse that's ready to go to war, like a dragon that's ready to devour and breathe fire. Acts chapter 9 is God having regard like for the vine, for his people. And he will deal with this wild boar. And he will deal with this wild beast, and he's going to do it with amazing grace. Paul thinks he's on the road to Damascus, but he's really on the road to, to redemption. The question for all of us is, what is our journey right now filled with? Is it filled with rage and anger? like Paul. Angry because life hasn't turned out like we thought. Angry because we have the spouse that we weren't hoping for. Angry because we got passed up for a promotion at work. And so then we take it on everybody around us. We throw it on them. Angry at God because of the loss of someone in your life. Angry because you were betrayed. Basically angry at life and angry at God for allowing your life to be this way? Is your road filled with rage? This morning is the time to begin to release the rage and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You see, surrender that anger unto the Lord and He will give you His Spirit and He will give you His fruit of the Spirit. You see, our Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and He can give you His resources to be slow to anger. We need to release the rage unto Him. We're going to have communion this morning and I really want you during that time, if if your road is filled with rage and anger, to surrender that unto the Lord who's quick to forgive and who fills you with the Spirit. That's part of the journey for Paul. Part of the journey for us, many of us. Then Paul is blinded by the light on the road to Damascus. Verses 3-9. through Paul's conversion. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. The light blinded him and knocked him over, and he fell to the ground before his conqueror. And Jesus is speaking to Paul, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul. You know what? That's actually very tender. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Mary, Mary. Whenever we see that double like that, it's always tender. That's God's grace. He could have just wiped them out, couldn't he? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus speaks personally and he speaks directly. Here's the truth. He knows us intimately to the core. He knows who we are. And Jesus speaks personally and he makes this personal. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's thinking he's persecuting the followers of the way. And Jesus says, no, it's me. You see, this is my body that you're attacking. This is my bride that you are coming against. And all of us husbands know very well If you mess with my bride, you mess with me. And that's Jesus. You don't mess with my bride. It's personal. Why do you attack my body and my bride? To persecute the followers of Jesus is to persecute Jesus himself. Who did Paul, who did Saul encounter on that road to Damascus? Who are you, Lord? He uses the Greek word kurios. Who are you, sir? It's a, it's a statement of, of reverence and authority. Who are you? It can also be a statement of who are you, Lord? What powerful presentation of, of this being in front of me. Who are you, Lord? The risen Lord appeared to Saul. The resurrected now glorified Jesus appeared to Saul. The light of the world came into the presence of Saul. The voice was the voice of Christ. God, whom Paul loved, revealed Himself in Jesus on the road to Damascus. Do you see that? Paul had a zeal and a love for God. And God revealed Himself in Jesus. Suddenly, suddenly the light 
Paul's conversion is immediate and actually it's not so immediate. Acts 26.14 says this, and, and there's, there's three stories, by the way, of this conversion. Acts 19, or Acts 9 that we're studying, Acts 22, Acts 26. It's a very important story for us to know. In Acts 26, it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Jesus likens Saul to a young bull that's fighting against the goads. The goad was a a stick, and on the end it had sharp points. Today it would be related to a cattle prod with electricity. And you would guide a young bull or a bull in the direction that you wanted it to go. And you would goad it, give it a little prick. But sometimes if the bull didn't want to do that, it would kick sharply against the goads and it was very painful. And Jesus is saying to Saul, it is so hard for you. Why do you kick against the goads? What were some of the goads along Paul's journey that God used? I think some of them may have been as the disciples received Jesus at Pentecost, and all of a sudden they're gathering together and they're loving each other, rich and poor, high and low, all together, living and following Jesus. I'm sure that Saul had doubts as he heard about Jesus. Stephen, when Stephen shared his testimony and the history of how God was working I'm sure that must have goaded him. What if all of this is true? Those who he put in jail and yet they would rejoice and sing and praise God. How can they do that? Goading Saul. I'm sure Paul would have heard Jesus teach at a time. They were contemporaries. Or at least heard about his teaching, heard about his miracles, heard about his death and his resurrection. This is crazy. He can't be the Son of God. But what if He is? What if He is? Suffered all the way to the cross. Why would He do that? What if it's all true? These amazing heart assaults of God's grace were softening Him. Are you being goaded by God's grace? Take a look at your life. Is he trying to goad you? Maybe for the first time, but maybe along the journey as you're going off the path. How is he goading you? What if it's all true? As he encounters the light, he is blinded. This physical blindness that parallels his spiritual blindness. And though he was blind, he had seen Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, in Corinthians 15, he says, Jesus Christ showed up before. Jesus Christ is alive. I knew he was put on the cross and dead. Who showed up in his blinding? Jesus Christ, alive. Why are you persecuting me? Paul claims he saw Jesus. In his blindness, he also saw himself. I think he's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with himself. And for the very first time, he takes a good look at who he is. You see, light exposes everything. That he was utterly wrong 
Romans 7 says as he speaks that there is nothing good that dwells in me. During his three days of blinding, I would imagine that all of a sudden his whole perspective of God is upended. I've always understood God this way. This is how you have righteousness before God. This is how you live for God. And, and Jesus is all of a sudden telling, no, there's a whole other way. I think he's pierced to the core, convicted of his sin. I think in those three days of blindness, he's thinking about all of those people he's attacked and had killed. Thinking of Stephen standing there holding the cloaks and watching him die, yet he had the face of an angel. I think in those three days, it was time of real surrender. Saul hated Jesus, but Jesus loved Saul. Saul hated Jesus, but Jesus loved Saul. You can't get over that amazing grace. And he's kicking against him. You ever do that as a parent when a young child is out of control and kicking against you and fighting against you and you just wrap them up and you hold them strong in your arms? You say, stop fighting against me. And you wrap them up in your love? Can you picture Jesus in those three days just wrapping up Saul as he's kicking against them and saying, Saul, I love you. This is who I am. I am God. I am Jesus. Follow me. We learn on the road to Damascus that Christ is always the initiator. Saul had no desire to know Jesus. He wasn't looking for salvation from Jesus. But Jesus was looking upon Saul with compassion and forgiveness and incredible forgiving eyes. He seeks sinners today with Amazing grace. He seeks you and me with amazing grace. We sometimes, as we look at at God's amazing grace, we, we consider Him almost reckless in His love. But He pursues us anyway. And God allows us to come to the end of ourselves. And sometimes He brings us to the end of ourselves. And God, in His grace, He chooses us. What did Paul do to earn such favor? A man who lived his whole life in works righteousness. A man who was violently attacking his bride. What did he do to all of a sudden be chosen of the Lord? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. What did he do to earn God's favor? Zero. Grace upon grace. And he does the same for you and me. Grace upon grace. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, says this. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing. The divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that Lord which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking and struggling and resentful, darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape? The hardness of God 
is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. With amazing grace, God got a hold of C.S. Lewis. And he was surprised by such joy as he came in kicking and screaming. What did Paul do? Nothing. This gift of salvation, this gift of grace, like we're seeing on the new TurboTax commercials. Free, 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 free. Free, 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 free. Grace, 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 grace. It's nothing but. On the road to Damascus, he's loved by the body of Christ. Verses 10 through 19. In his blindness, he sees and he experiences the love of the body. He becomes aware of the family of God. And God uses Ananias to be his arms and his feet, his words. Ananias, in verse 10, is called by the Lord. Lord, I want you to go to the... To Saul, he's been praying and he's seen a vision of a man named Ananias who's going to come and lay his hands upon him. Ananias at first is a little resistant. This is the guy who killed Sally and killed John. And Are you kidding me? This is a suicide mission. God says, go. Go. And Ananias responds. And he goes and he lays hands upon Saul What a beautiful hand of Jesus really laid upon Saul. Touch of our Savior. Look what it says. Ananias says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. You've got to be kidding. You've killed my brothers and sisters. But you are now welcomed into the family of God. Brother Saul. Those may have been the first words that Saul heard from Christian lips expressed to him after his conversion. Brother Saul, come into the community. And then he lays his hands. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Scales fall off his eyes. He is baptized. Who do you think does the baptism? I'm pretty sure Ananias. That must have been not the best baptism in the world. You know, when we have baptisms... We have everybody over here, and we're so excited about them getting baptized. Can you imagine that baptism? Hey, here we have Saul. Yeah, he's the guy who killed your cousin. But he's a brother in Christ. And so we baptize him, and he comes out of the water, and everybody's kind of like, uh, I, I guess we'll clap. I, right? This is a murderer, but he's now part of the family. It's Ananias who brings God's grace. He welcomes into the family. Ananias, whose name means God is gracious. This whole scene is a scene of reversal. This whole scene is a scene of redemption. Samuel, in the Old Testament, calls Saul, who would be king, to follow God's ways and lead Israel. But Saul, in the Old Testament totally disobeys God. That's broken. That's a mess. Ananias now, in the great reversal, is called to go touch Saul. Present day. New Testament. And this Saul is now going to bring great reversal. He is not only going to follow Jesus, he is going to spread the gospel all over the known world. 
Look at the names that are used. Hey, Ananias, God is gracious. I want you to go down to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Uh, That name rings a bell. The great betrayer, Judas, now is becoming the house of refuge for Saul. And I want you to go down there to the house of Judas, that's now a house of healing, and touch Saul, Ananias. By the way, Ananias should ring a bell. He was the great one who who deceived the church with his offerings and struck down dead. Both of those names, all of a sudden the great reversal, all of a sudden great redemption. That's a beautiful story of how God gets a hold of our lives on what we think is the road to Damascus, and it's the road to redemption. It's a simple, trusting faith. Who does the Lord want you to come alongside like Ananias? You ever wonder who led Billy Graham to Jesus? What role does God have for you in his kingdom work? All of a sudden, on the road to redemption, there's a new creation. There's new sight. There's new identity. He is my chosen instrument to carry my name. Chosen instrument? Grace upon grace. I give him new sight. He's going to come before kings and the people of Israel and the Gentiles. And I will show him in his new sight how much he must suffer for my name. That's the life of a disciple. And he laid hands and he regained his sight, filled with the Holy Spirit. I am a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Three days in blindness. Three days like Jonah. Three days like Jesus. Renewal. Resurrection. New life. I don't think three is just some obscure number. Acts 26 says this. Rise and stand on your feet. I have appointed you a servant, a witness to the things which you have seen. I am sending you to open the eyes of those who are blind. To help those receive forgiveness from sins and find their place of faith in me. And so this new creation goes and lives in Jesus Christ. This wonderful road to Damascus becomes the road to redemption. What an amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, we want to hear your voice in our lives. And Father, we, we want to receive your goading. Stir us. Help us to know what you have for us. Lead us. Father, we want to draw close to you this morning as we take communion. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you set with Paul, that nobody is beyond your amazing love, amazing grace. In your precious name, amen.